Barum is relationships. Barum is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about? The room is different cookie cutter mm-hmm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to the Room Minute, the podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room, one minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Allison. Oh, hi, Rob. Oh, hi, listeners. We're here to talk about Minute 45 of The Room in which Michelle can see the future. First of all, I wanted to read you... Uh, I won't read this whole section. I copied and pasted a large part into my notes from The Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero. But there's an interesting thing he has at the beginning of the, describing this scene. He says, for all of Tommy's issues with women, it should be said that he does try throughout the room to provide his female characters with emotions and activities he regards as realistic. Unfortunately, these women, these womanly emotions and activities usually involve sitting around shopping, drinking wine, gossiping, getting banged, or some combination thereof. Tommy's female characters have no inner dimension at all. They're idealized, but half-heartedly. From Tommy's artistic perspective, a woman is someone who's supposed to be on the couch when a man gets home, someone who's supposed to know to order her man a pizza when he has a bad day, someone who's been trained to regard a dozen roses as a gift of universe-exploding significance. Now, this scene, uh, I'll give you just a couple bits from this. This is filmed the day after Robin was hired. And this is the day that, because of this halter top, this was the day of, I don't, I think I've mentioned it before, Juliet's, uh, back acne problem that Tommy freaked out about. <laughs> and he had to tell, like, get mad at the makeup people and tell them to cover it up because he didn't like that there were marks on her back because she's a human being. Hey, no, no guilt trips about back acne, you guys. Oh, I have, I, I'm not saying it's bad on her part. I'm saying it's bad on his part. He freaked oh. out. All right. And wanted it covered. I'm like, maybe get her a costume that doesn't have a bare back if you're going to freak out about that sort of thing. Greg Sestero does note the wine glass problems that we talked about last minute, but we won't get back into that or we'll get stuck. <laughs> and he mentions the neck. Yeah. I, I can honestly say before I, uh, before bringing it up, I'd never really noticed the neck, but I've got this ability to sort of, you know, tune in and, and buy into most most films and just sort of enjoy it as I watch it. But this, yeah. my first experience with what the actual content of the room was, like I'd seen the billboards and knew it was something was the cinema sins video. And they mentioned the neck. So mm-hmm. I knew that before I even saw any of the movie. And then at midnight screenings, as right. covered the last all this week, they freak out at her neck in this scene. It's as if something is trying to escape. It is a little more disturbing in this minute than, than it was in the last one. I'm, I've yeah. got it rolling now, and I'm it. It's it's a little creepy. Oh, hi, David. By the way. Oh, hey, Rob. She's pregnant with a neck baby. Hi, Allison. Mm-hmm. That's why she's so hungry. Well, a navel baby. That's just it's it's reaching up into the neck to come out. What what is the gestation period of a navel baby? It seems pretty quick. Uh, well, it doesn't come out by the end of the movie, but maybe off screen she kills it because this neck thing doesn't happen again. Hmm. I don't know. Probably does. Yeah, that sounds plausible. An abortion from the neck. Yeah, it's uh, 
uh, or maybe wine kills it. Oh yeah, oh. she just gets lucky. That's why Tommy doesn't drink, or Johnny doesn't drink. His species can't handle alcohol. Yeah. For a house with someone that doesn't drink, they have so many alcohol options. <laughs> they really do. Well, you've seen how many people come over to their house, right? They, they've got to be prepared to entertain. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Lisa doesn't understand that he's an alien, but in the seven years they've been together, she realized that every once in a while after they have sex, she has this weird thing going on in her neck, and when she drinks, it goes away. <laughs> so she just keeps a lot of alcohol handy. Just in case. I like that theory. I mean, that's like, what I would I had do. sex with Johnny, I got a drink. We can all understand that that urge. If I had sex with Johnny, I'd have to drink. <laughs> I'm going to recommend the before time period for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, you should drink well, Yeah, right before. You want the option of remembering just in case, I think. Well, in case he hits her, oh right? Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And maybe she just found a bruise around her navel and was like, he must have hit me. I don't know. I was drunk, too. <laughs> she just doesn't know. That's that's not what that's from. There's this there's this whole alien gestation going on, and no one knows it. It just happens. Now this minute begins in the middle of uh, Michelle's sentence. She said, "Johnny's so excited about this wedding." Oh, that's a letdown. Yeah, I was hoping for something better. Yeah, uh, Lisa. I know. And Michelle says, "You've got to tell Johnny." And no guilt trips. Lisa says, "Because as Michelle points out, you don't feel guilty about this at all." She, no. She's happy. I'm happy. She seems happy. But Michelle knows. Something awful is going to happen. But she's not wrong. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind in the original, like, in the stage version of the script, we're now in Act 2 of... I don't know how it's structured. I think it's structured as three acts. And so this is all set up for how things are going to go wrong later now that we've known the main characters. So yeah, this is deliberate foreshadowing. Something awful is going to happen. It's, it's and, um, ham-fisted foreshadowing, really. Yeah. Well, that's why Lisa tries to shut it down. She likes, please don't tell anybody. Right. You're not supposed to tell them what's coming. Just let the movie happen. Show them. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, to set up the extreme tension of Johnny interrupting this conversation, we cut to outside where Johnny is just casually walking along and picks up a newspaper and looks at it because they can't even do tension. I, um, my, my notes for this quick outside shot are that if I had never seen this particular scene before and you wanted to get me to reenact it perfectly, mm -hmm. what you would tell me is this. Okay, you're Frankenstein. Frankenstein <laughs> walks up the street. He's going somewhere with a purpose, but he gets distracted by a newspaper, examines it, and decides to go inside to find out more about it. Uh-huh. That's, uh -huh. I mean, he's... He's got very lumbery, square-shouldered, and who looks at a newspaper like that? He also has nice posture. Yeah. He's only picking up a newspaper, but he picks it up with his legs. <laughs> <laughs> True. I do like that he holds it up to the light to see if he can see through it, though. Yeah, he looks at it front, he turns it, looks at the back. He's trying to figure out what that is. Because they put him outside his apartment building like every day, and he doesn't know why. It's like, huh, Lisa must have started getting a newspaper. I don't remember <laughs> subscribing to this. And before, uh, when Johnny comes in, we get, uh, is, is this the only time they do this in the movie? Where we get an angle from up at the ceiling? It's <laughs> definitely the only one in, in this 
portion. I don't yeah. remember. So we get a downward angle as Johnny enters, and downward angle where we see how Lisa's sitting in between the table and the coffee table. She's got her legs out. Looks kind of comfortable. And Johnny enters as Michelle is saying, don't worry, you can trust me. Your secret is safe with me. And no newspaper. Wow, I didn't even know it. Good job. <laughs> Maybe he <laughs> ate it. Like in the in the hallway or the foyer. Or maybe it was someone else's paper. Maybe it was Mark's paper. Oh, Dang. yes. He dropped it off at Mark's store. Except the conversation from Lisa's last line to Michelle's now feels like no time has passed. It's like, please don't tell anybody. Don't worry, you can trust me. Please don't tell anybody. <sighs> don't worry. You can trust me. So there's no time for any of what we just saw. Except conversations do repeat themselves a lot in this movie. So, so the only explanation is that he ate it, then. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, a quick snack. The other weird thing about this shot when he comes in, because I've talked about this apartment and how it feels like it's hexagon-shaped, this is the only shot in the film, I'm pretty sure it's the only shot in the film, that shows the front door and the kitchen door. Hmm. And the scene, it makes the set actually look rectangular, although I don't know how that's possible given the other side of the room. But this is the only shot that shows us both of those doors, how how they relate to one another. The furniture is strangely not square to the to the walls. Yeah, either. Well, it's because you get that fireplace that's behind the couch, right? A TV that's behind a chair, a table behind the and chair, a staircase, yeah. and it's weird. It's all strange. We didn't see that they came in from shopping, but anyway, Johnny asks if she got a new dress, which in context is a weird question because she's wearing jeans and a halter top. Yeah, so I. Always assumed that he was asking Michelle that question because... Well, he looks at Lisa. He does, which always made it confusing, but she's not... Well, I mean, neither of them is really wearing what you'd call a dress, right? No, they're not. Yeah. But Michelle's reaction to it is kind of the same reaction you'd have if a creeper came in talking about wanting to hear your secrets (laughs) and then asked if you were wearing a new dress, you would sit up and, you know, cover yourself a little more and pull your skirt down to cover yourself as much as possible and then and then leave and then escape he's a creeper yeah <laughs> go through the yeah. window and pretend like you're going to the bathroom see I- i'm wondering seeing this shot i didn't see any like shopping bags like maybe they had filmed the beginning of the scene and that's why this line is still there but there's no shopping bags there's no evidence they went shopping but he then he asked about the new dress and so it's a it's johnny has a weird way of getting answers so just ask the wrong question deliberately but it does get Michelle to leave, so I guess it accomplishes something. Well, he didn't seem to really want her to leave since he wouldn't pick up his damn feet when she was trying to get by. <laughs> it's kind of mon- – I mean, Lisa clearly moves her feet like a normal person would. Yeah. How long do we suppose Michelle and Lisa have been friends? Oh, I'm going to say – Three years. Three to four years, yeah. Yeah, because I, I find it weird that – Johnny walks in, finds the two of them having a nice conversation and drinking wine, and just sits next to them on the chair. Like, how rude is that? Well, they clearly said they were having girl talk, right? Yeah. Or women talk, sorry. It's between us women. Like, oh, okay, I'll leave you to it. And he goes upstairs. Or he goes into the chair and alcohol storage room. (laughs) The chair and alcohol storage room. (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't just sit down. I mean, I know he, he's got business to attend to, but he, it could hold off until they're done. This is why Lisa doesn't love you anymore, Johnny. 
It's because behavior like this, interrupting, sitting down, commenting on her friend's legs, apparently, and her dress, but she's not wearing. It's just weird. It's all Johnny's fault. <laughs> he ruins everything, really. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, this is very uncomfortable scene once he enters the room. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if it's the part of the overhead shot and the, like the way he sits and kind of tosses his head back. It, mm-hmm. all of it's just weird. I mean, that's, you could probably say that about just about any scene that he walks into in this movie, though. It instantly becomes twice as uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I think it starts with the overhead shot because that's not something this movie's been doing. And so it's like suddenly we get a different angle as Johnny comes in and intrudes. When we know what's been going on, we know he, we don't want him in this conversation. We don't want him in this scene or things are going to fall apart. When they, they do, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it takes him a little while. We're minute 45 of what 101. So we're not even halfway, but yeah, this is the point where everything's going to start really coming apart. If he says the wrong thing and then he asks... Did you get a new dress? That That's not... Now where's the scene going to go? Well, yeah. I mean, clearly it's ending. I don't know. His behavior in this scene really makes me think that he deserves everything that's coming to him. Yeah. I think he's such a jerk that it, it just sort of... All right. Well, I understand where Lisa's coming from now. That's why, yeah, again, coming back to what we've been talking about this week, re-editing the movie, if you alter the way this scene plays by, like, the timing of it, you give Lisa's perspective and what is he doing here? He's intruding on her moment where she's confessing and she told Michelle outright. Look, I really don't know what to do. Like, she's not planning this. She's not conniving. She's not evil. She's just desperate and confused. Well, and, you know, she expresses that she's happy and guilt-free about this whole thing, but even if that's true, it's clear she's susceptible yeah. to, I mean, if Michelle wanted to talk her into a different or guilt her into a different course of action. I I think she probably could. Yeah. But then Johnny comes in and make it. There's no time for it. Yeah. Like by the time I think what's the next time she talks to Michelle is at the party, I think. And by then it's too late. All the damage has been done. So it's like the moment where Michelle could have steered her a better direction. Johnny comes in and ruins it. This this is, in a way, the most tragic scene of the film. When Frankenstein's monster finds a newspaper and eats it, asks about a dress that doesn't exist. <laughs> is it the tragedy for the paper, then? Is yeah. And, the, and for the dress. And the naval baby. The naval baby that she just drank to death. It's very sad. I think Johnny would have made a great naval baby father. And just like the, <laughs> just like the last two minutes ended with... Uh, Michelle getting cut off. She gets cut off on her way out of the place. She's heading for the door, but doesn't make it. I like the way you phrase that when we're talking about him being the monster. It's that she doesn't make it. No. I mean, maybe she won't. I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not going to see the rest <laughs> we'll of We'll never movie. know. So you guys will call me and tell me later, right? Listeners, you'll have to wait till next week to find out if Michelle makes it to the door. Or does Lisa's alien naval baby erupt from her neck and stop her? Tune in next week. In the meantime, we have some business to attend to. First of all, I think there are no notes from a midnight screening for this minute. Wow. Which is weird. That is weird. Because Lisa, from the upward angle, you can't see what her neck is doing. They stop 
screaming about her, though? Yeah. They've stopped screaming because, like, or they're not getting the visual. Yeah. So, Friday business, then. It's Friday, Friday. I know it. It all sounds like some bad movie. I believe you brought a bad movie for us to talk about. I did? What do you got for us? I've brought uh, Lucio Fulci's House by the Cemetery, which is uh, part of the Gates of Hell trilogy. And this is sort of a new thing I'm trying out where I'm allowing myself to be critical of the horror movie canon, um, like Fulci and the other Giallo-style directors. Um, it's not normally something that's allowed in my circle of, of friends when we're talking about movies, but the podcast called Tear Them Apart, mm. which is Evan Dorkin is a comic artist from for many, many years. And so he and, and a friend has uh, talk about horror movies and they're, they get, they get critical of it. It's not Lisa tearing them apart. You are tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> it is not, but I do like the tie-in that I hadn't thought of until <laughs> just now. <laughs> Uh, but it's a good podcast and it has inspired me to, to be a little more critical of, of these types of movies. And, uh, this one just doesn't live up to the rest of the Fulci canon to me. So. Uh, so I, I had never seen this movie until last night and I really liked it. It's, it's horribly edited. Yeah. Like half the time I'm like, wait, didn't that character just die? It's like <laughs> the actresses are so poorly similar to this movie. Like they don't. You don't get to know them well enough. And I'm like, who just got their head chopped off? Because I thought it was one woman. And then she walks into the next scene. And I'm like, I don't know who died. Yeah. But the deaths are awesome. The deaths are awesome. This is, um, if, if you've seen the other two movies in this trilogy, you'll. I have not. This one is definitely the least gory of them. Oh. Um, the gore's great. Yeah. Yeah. But it's sort of Fulci's, uh, signature, really. Um, and it is a, a classic Italian giallo movie where, you know, the, the dub is weird between the, the, the mouths and the voices, um, which is fine. I've gotten over that a long time ago, but, um, I don't know. The, the little boy in this movie is really annoying every time he talks. That's what I was, that's what I was just going to bring <laughs> up. The Bob, the, the young blonde boy who actually the first time I saw this movie was at a 24 hour horror movie marathon in Chicago. Uh, and the boy who played Bob and I, I didn't write down what his, the actor's real name is, was present. Oh, he didn't speak much English, so he didn't do much other yeah. than like say hi and wave, but. It, uh, you know, so I felt bad. I think at the time I saw it, then I really thought that I had enjoyed it. But the couple times I've seen it since then, I was like, this one just doesn't quite cut it for me anymore. So it's got a usual, like a, a lot of bad movies. It gets kind of boring in the middle. Yeah. It's only an hour and 24 minutes long, I think, but it feels longer. The creepy setup in the beginning is, is great. I would say the first oh, yeah. 12, 15 minutes of it is, it really ramps things up. But then it sits at this weird plateau for a long, long time. Well, and as I, I posted as I, as I was watching it, I'm like, I think it sets a record for horror films of the eighties and it, it gets to nudity in like the first like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm like, okay, this is the movie we're watching. Okay. Let's see how this goes. And then there, it doesn't really do that again. It's just, that's not the movie it's is. And so it's a great little setup. Yeah. There's definitely creepy imagery, great gore, but the editing is confusing. Very. And the ending is, like, I got what happened, but I didn't get why it happened. Nope. Which is or how. typical. Of- and I was just like, okay. Yeah. yeah it's, um, the, there's a few things about the movie 
that really make me cringe a lot. Like, and some of them are maybe personal things like creepy kids Mm -hmm. that always, I don't like creepy kid movies, obsessively neat beards. So, (laughs) you know, that that one doesn't do it for me either. And, um, Bob's dub voice, like we said, was, is probably the worst of any, you know, Italian movie that I've seen. And, um, the name Freudstein just makes me cringe every time someone says it. So, yeah. And they say it a lot. In the mm-hmm. movie, so. Well, apparently it was going to be the original title as well, at one point too. So I'm like, no, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And some, one of my, one of the worst things with like the editing though is, just come back to that is near the end of the movie, there's like the monster guy is coming at them and the editing just gets rid of the tension because they cut to an angle where the monster's not in the shot. It's like, right. <laughs> it's still there. It's like the actors are with the editor as like the monster's gone because we can't see him. And I'm like, that's not how movies work. Well, and half the time that you see like the, like if you see the hand of the monster, it is a monster hand. And half the mm-hmm. times it's like some lady's hand. Yeah. And I think they kind of explain that sort of a little. Sort of. Sort of. But it's just confusing. So I think most of the scenes that involve the cellar door not being open are very, they ratchet up the tension a little bit. Yeah. I think this is the good, the, the, the first time that they wrench it open with the knife through the key, mm-hmm. which, you know, every Boy Scout watching that movie is, is cringing, I'm sure. Yes. But, uh. I was glad the key broke when she tried it later. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, every time I watch the movie, I, like, even though I've seen it several times, I'm like, someone's going to cut their hand really bad here, but it, <laughs> that's, that's not what happens, but. No. But, uh, the first time they're trying to wrench the door open, where you see the lock mechanism caked with all the dust and dirt shifting as they're wrenching it is unnaturally tense for someone just trying to force open a door, I think. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's successful in, in some ways. I don't, I think when we first talked about this movie, I, I said that it, I'm not sure this is really a terrible movie, um, but it, it disappoints me. Yeah. I, mean, I think it could be better and it. I've seen better from Fulci and the the music in this one this was the first one where the of that trilogy where the music was not done by Fabio Fritzi okay and uh it, his music is so much better than than what comes up in this movie so and it's just ordinary so i just double checked that it exists the bat attack is on youtube i will post it the day this episode goes up because that scene alone will explain so much about what this movie is and what's good about it and what's wrong with it yeah it's the Best gore scene with the worst puppet ever. The, pu- the puppet's adorable. It's just, it's so silly though that he can't get a bat off his hand for so long. Yeah. Well, and the first time he stabs it and it starts to bleed, it bleeds from like three places uh-huh. that are not the stab wound. Yeah. So, and then blood's uh. flying everywhere. It's a, it's a fantastic <laughs> scene and an awful scene, which is what the movie yes. is. Right. And it, it's not like a trauma film that is fully aware of how bad it is and it's just being gory to be gory all right. so there's some of that right but i mean it's it's a serious film i think i don't know i always wonder when i'm watching those movies that were originally shot in italian well like that whether there's something lost in translation but when you sort of learn how those movies are made that they don't actually record any sound on the set mm, yeah and then just overdub everything and that half of those actors are American or English speaking anyway, mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, so no, I'm not missing anything. <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah, so. it's just weird. But it's it's a deliberate weird. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and one more time, David, 
where can the listeners find you in the future? Yeah, um, come look for us if you like goofy, weird movies about the Ramones um, and, spoiler alert, blowing up high schools at Rock and Roll High School Minute uh, or the Hey Pizza group on Facebook. Or you can come search out the Edge of Tomorrow Minute also on the Facebook and get some alerts when we finally start publishing our content. So there's some episodes in the can for both of those, so I'm hoping it won't be too long. There's nothing wrong when people make fun of the project, in this case, The Room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening. And remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Leave us! <laughs>